Welcome in the latest episode of That SEC Podcast brought to you by Twisted T and my bookie. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter and no cousin Shane on this episode. But hey, don't toot off just yet because we have made it to the college football season. And what's that mean? It means it's a Stephen Lassen Tuesday. Steve is going to join us every Tuesday just like he did last season, provide his unique insight into the game. One of my favorites in all the college football landscape is Stephen Lassen, senior editor over at Athlon Sports. We're going to hit on all 16, that's right, 16 SEC teams with Stephen Talk Week 1 action in just a moment here. But we do got a couple headlines around the SEC. Wanted to get to these. It was a little bit of a quiet day around the league, but we... These uh, things stood out to me. Uh, I, I just wanted to get off the top of the show before we get into the conversation with Steven. But Texas A&M's made it official. Connor Wigman will be their starting quarterback, beating out uh, Max Johnson, who was at LSU previously. But uh, according to Jimbo, and, and we'll play Jimbo's comments on the next episode when Shane's back. But sounds like uh, you know this was a heated competition that went down to the wire, but. No surprise, you go back to uh, our conversation with Billy Lucci at SEC Media Days. Connor Wigman was the expected starting quarterback, and he will be there in the opener against New Mexico, which I can almost guarantee you we'll see Max Johnson in that game as well. So the Aggies have a starting quarterback. Who doesn't? Alabama still don't have a starter down there. And not only do they not have a starting quarterback, they don't have any starters because Nick Saban's not releasing a depth chart. First time in his career, which I think dates back 17 years at Alabama, Nick Saban not releasing a depth chart heading into a season opener. I don't know what in the hell's up with that, but I don't know. I'm telling you, the the signs of uh, (laughs) something, something weird going on down there at Alabama, and why not just let this out? I Again, they're playing MTSU, freaking MTSU in the opener. He rambles on about competition and the beginning's not the end. I get all that, but why? I mean, something's up. If this is the first time you've ever done this, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. We'll get into it on the next episode. I'm sure Cousin Shane's got a lot to discuss about it as well. But Florida, this was interesting. They're playing Thursday, a big game. At Utah, that's going to be one of the biggest games of the entire week one, and thankfully we get it a couple days early on Thursday night, nationally televised. But due to Storm Idelia, I I was not even aware of this, so you know thoughts out there to all, all the listeners and family members out there in Florida that are being affected by the storms. But apparently it's such an issue that uh, Florida leaving a day early for that trip to Utah. So they are headed out to Dallas on Tuesday, and they'll make the trip to Salt Lake on Wednesday. They're actually going to practice in Dallas in preparation for the season opener at Utah. So we'll see if this affects the team at all. I'm not sure it really has a a big impact, but it may uh, with just the extra travel and everything like that. And speaking of Utah, still the intrigue continues because they're not naming a quarterback either. No update on Cam Rising. No update on their All-American tight end. Uh, Their head coach, Kyle Whittingham, would not get into any specifics. Was not letting on who's going to be cleared for that opener 
against Florida. So that's interesting. Arkansas has moved the – they were supposed to open the season 3.30 against Western Carolina. That game's been moved to noon Central time against Western Carolina. This game's in Little Rock. They're saying they're doing it due to the weather, trying to get out of the heat and humidity a little bit quicker. Yeah, it's interesting. I see a lot of fans upset about this. It messes with the tailgating plans. The one game they have down there in Little Rock affected at the last minute, but it is what it is. And uh, last little update here, Tennessee, Josh Heupel is not cleared. At least he's not letting on, but it, it sounds like Cooper May is not going to be cleared for the opener, which, again, I get it. They're nearly a 30-point favorite against Virginia, but adds a little extra intrigue into this matchup, given that uh, Virginia, their strong side of the ball is the defense. Tennessee, their offensive line, biggest question mark, I would say, with the uh, perhaps the entire team. So how does it affect them with the starting center likely out and some positions still being kind of worked on as uh, we're just days away from kickoff. But uh, that's all for the news updates. Let's get into it over an hour here with Stephen Lassen of Athlon Sports. Tremendous conversation. All right, we're pleased to be joined once again by Stephen Lassen, the college football encyclopedia as i like to call you know him from athlon sports the cover two podcast the the editor over there at athlonsports.com steven it is always a pleasure and an honor to have you and your knowledge on the show so i can't thank you enough who once again this will be a weekly thing during the college football season thank you so much for joining us really appreciate it Hey Mike, it's good to be back. Thanks for having me on, man. Where did the uh, the off season go? It felt like it just <laughs> zipped right by. But I don't know about you, but like I'm tired of talking about like conference realignment, NIL, the transfer rules, like all the playoff. Yep. Like, get me to week one. Let's talk some ball. And uh, you know, I I can't promise I will be as humorous or as funny as cousin Shane, but uh, <laughs> load management and and all that, I'll try to fill in. Uh, you know, as good as the backup quarterback can each week. Yeah, well, we appreciate you, Stephen, for just it's a different conversation with you. But hey, a lot of people say a better conversation. No shot at you, cousin Shane, but uh, we we had to have you on, Stephen, to talk about week one. So fired up, like you hinted at there. No more offseason. We got actual games to break down, preview, and we're going to do it a little different on this episode. We're going to talk the most challenging games for the SEC with Texas and Oklahoma included during the week one slate. And some of these cupcake games, we're going to, you know, obviously the, the <laughs> it's very hard to pick which cupcakes will be the, the biggest challenge. We, we know they're not going to be a challenge. So instead of focusing on the challenges that those games present, we're going to highlight more of what Steven is hoping to learn from the cupcake matchups that we have. But before we take a deep dive into week one, Steven, I, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, and you can keep it as brief as you want, but just any anything you, you really appreciated or learned or, Anything during week zero uh, matchup? Uh, I know we didn't have a lot of games, but uh, did anything stand out from you last weekend? I think I'll be an SEC homer here first. Uh, <laughs> Vanderbilt. I mean, you know, you got to get to six wins. And I think that's yeah. the goal this year. I know it ne- wasn't necessarily pretty, 
but just winning that game is a big deal and that quest to get to that six win mark and get to a bowl game continue to progress under coach Clark Lee. There are some obvious things that Vanderbilt needs to work on as we saw Saturday night, but I think most importantly, they got the victory. That's all that matters. And I think, you know, looking around nationally, I I think USC, I think some of the same things that we saw last year, I think coming into this year, we wondered how would the defense look? The early returns are, it's still going to be uh, a little bit of an issue, although they might score 45 to 50 points every week. So if we're thinking down the road, if if you get into a potential playoff matchup with USC, it's probably going to be a high scoring game. I thought Notre Dame looked really good in the opener um, against Navy too, but I think uh, just mm-hmm. for purposes of, of, of for, uh, for the SEC, I thought Vanderbilt just getting that victory was a big deal. Oh yeah. And I can't believe two years ago, Stephen, they would have given anything for a win. Now we're picking apart Vanderbilt, not impressive enough, but come on, it was week zero. Give them a break. But that was just an appetizer, Stephen, to the main entree this weekend, starting with some games on Thursday, and I have a feeling one of the Thursday games is going to rank very high for you, Stephen. So let's talk week one matchups. And again, we're doing it based upon the difficulty it's going to be for the SEC to get a win in each game. And I'd like to start at the top of your list, Stephen. What is the one game on your list that you think is going to be the most difficult for an SEC team to win this weekend? It's the game that I can't wait for. And unfortunately, we have to wait an extra day to get there. (laughs) It's Sunday night, uh, LSU in Florida State playing in Orlando. I mean, we saw these two teams last year play. It was an epic kind of fun uh, game where early on it looked like Florida State might run away with it. LSU got back into it in the second half. And, of course, there was the uh, dramatic ending with the block kick for Florida State to win. But, you know, it's interesting to think about where LSU was at that point after the game. You know, Mike, you and I talked about their post. It was time to fire Brian Kelly and all that. The staff, it wasn't going to work. Here we are a year later. LSU is a playoff contender. But, man, you know, I, I always hate to talk about, like, playoff implications in week one. But, I mean, if you think about, like, LSU's schedule and how it sets up, they have the game later this year against Alabama. If they win that game, they're probably going to Atlanta to play Georgia. If you end up with a season with one loss, you know, a win over Florida State could look very good because this I think this is the best team in the ACC this year. But there are just so many individual matchups. You've got two great quarterbacks, Jordan Travis, Jaden Daniels. You've got Florida State skill talent at the receiver position, you know, probably one of the best running backs in the country. And Trey Benson, you've got defensive difference makers for both teams, Harold Perkins for LSU. Jared Verse for Florida State. There's just a ton of intrigue between two teams that played a, a game that was decided on the last play last year, and these are top ten teams going into this season. So I'm I'm really looking forward uh, to Sunday night between these uh, between Florida State and LSU. And how much added difficulty, Stephen, is it to project this game, considering that uh, is my understanding that Florida State utilized the transfer portal pretty heavily. I know LSU did as well on, for certain position groups like uh, defensive line and secondary. But uh, d- does that add any extra difficulty in projecting how these teams will look right out the gate? Yeah, it really does. I mean, I, I hate to 
I don't want to make any Ole Miss fans angry, but Mike Norvell has been, you know, he kind of threatens Lane Kiffin's crown to be the portal king because of his work in the transfer portal. Um, you know, I mentioned Trey Benson earlier, running back. Jared Verse is a transfer from Albany, who's one of the best defensive players in the country. They also added Keon Coleman at receiver to go with Johnny Wilson. Johnny Wilson, kind of one of the bigger receivers in college football. And now they've got a second receiver. And oh, by the way, they have Jaheim Bell, the transfer from South Carolina. So they really have a versatile kind of group of weapons. And and I think we've seen that transfers in college football the last two seasons have come in and made a big time impact. And I'm expecting Florida State to be able to do that again with this um, group of skill talents they've brought in the last couple of years. But also, I think on the side of LSU, when you mentioned transfers, the first thing that comes to my mind is the secondary. I mean, that group is going to be under fire Sunday night. Mm-hmm. And all those transfers that they've brought in the last couple of years, uh, this this year, a little bit more years of eligibility remaining. Uh, but this group could be really important to the outcome uh, of Sunday night's game. How the secondary performs and whether or not Harold Perkins can just create a lot of havoc might decide whether or not LSU wins this game. What do you think is the bigger question mark for the Tigers? Is it that secondary or is it the uh, the ability to stop the run without Mason Smith, who for some damn reason got suspended for something he did two years ago? Yeah, I, I think it's the secondary. I think it's the secondary for, you know, two reasons. I think it's just it's the amount of weapons that Florida State has. I think they've got two at least one receiver who was a preseason All-American this year in Johnny Wilson. Keon Coleman, he transferred from Michigan State. Uh, little backstory, he he was first team All-Big Ten in one of my uh, preseason uh, magazines for Athlon Sports, the, <laughs> the All-Big Ten team. Of course, he transferred after that, so he was on our All-ACC team when it made it to the web a few weeks later. Uh, but I guess to, to kind of you know give you an idea, like Florida State has two top 15 receivers in college football, you know, and, and South Carolina fans know how versatile Jaheim Bell was too. I mean, you know, he could carry the ball. Florida state had some issues on short yarded situations last year. You think about that, uh, that one time Florida state fumbled against LSU. Maybe he helps a little bit with that. And, um, mm-hmm. and Trey Benson, I think is one of the best uh, running backs too in college football. So I think the amount of weapons, the talent that Florida state has to go with an improved offensive line and a quarterback who can beat you in the pocket and outside the pocket. If LSU doesn't get to Jordan Travis, you know, these receivers downfield against a very, you know, kind of wouldn't say inexperienced. It's a new secondary trying to come together. Um, that could be problematic uh, for LSU on Sunday night. So obviously it sounds like you're pretty high on Florida state and what they could accomplish this fall, but is it fair at all to say that uh, LSU, if we're just looking at the head coaches, And we can go down to the coordinators if you really want to. But uh, is it fair to say LSU should have a a big coaching advantage? Because that's that's where I'm at. Because I'm I'm still not a big believer in Mike Norvell. I realize they made some progress. But compared to Brian Kelly's resume, I think LSU's got the coaching advantage in this matchup. Would would you agree with that? I think that's fair. You know, I think if you ask me, like, where does Brian Kelly – ranking your coach rankings nationally. Like I think top seven or so, like maybe closer to top five. Um, I think just the fact that he's won everywhere that he's been. And also you look last year of how much they improved from 2021 
2022. But not only that, it's game one to game six to the SEC championship game. You know, that in-season improvement that we saw, I believe in Mike Norvell. Like, I, I think the fact that Florida State's gone from, you know, three to five to 10 wins says a lot about his coaching ability. But I think if you said, pick one coach you want to win with on, on Sunday night, to me, it's Brian Kelly. All right, Steven, so which uh, game ranks number two on your list of the most difficult it'll be for an SEC team to win during week one? Well, the good news is this one is on Thursday night, so we don't have to (laughs) wait as long for this one. Um, Man, Florida at Utah is just such an intriguing game for a lot of reasons. You have the uncertainty surrounding Utah's quarterback situation with Cam Rising. You also have um, Florida trying to... Um, I don't know if take a step forward is, is maybe the right way to put it, but I think something to prove um, in Billy Napier's second year because preseason expectations are pretty low. There's Graham Mertz. He's got certainly has something to to prove in, in, in his first season at Florida. On paper, I, I think this game could be probably one of those matchups similar to last year where it's probably lower scoring than last year and also – if Utah doesn't have its starting quarterback, this may be one of those games where a turnover, a play on special teams, one big play on offense might win it. I mean, I I jokingly say this, like it might look a lot like Iowa playing like Wisconsin, like some sort of like rock fight for four quarters. But <laughs> I mean, this one to me has a ton of intrigue just because of all the unknowns surrounding both of these teams on Thursday. Are you buying into the uh, Graham Mertz hype? And I, that's probably not even a fair thing to ask because I don't know how much hype there is. But out of Gainesville, there certainly seems to be some hype that that he, you know, not that he's going to be like the first overall pick or anything, but just that he can be a uh, a force of stability this fall to to help the Gators. Do you, do you think? I guess the real question is: Do you think they can get more out of his talent than what he had, what he showed at least at Wisconsin? Yeah, I think that that's the highs Mertz that you're referring to. <laughs> um, by far, one of the best preseason nicknames this year. Uh, I, I'll agree with that. So I, I think they can get more out of him. Uh, you know, high school recruiting, obviously, he's been out of high school now for a couple of years, but he was the highest profile quarterback to sign with Wisconsin coming out of high school. Uh, probably the only other quarterback that was more highly touted than him to go to Wisconsin was Russell Wilson. And of course he was a transfer from NC state. I think he has probably more talent than he showed at Wisconsin. And if you watch Wisconsin, I think things got a little stale offensively the last couple of years. So I think they can. I think the question for me is on the road where you're playing a Utah defense that I think might be the best group in the PAC 12. You look defensive line linebackers, defensive backs, all of those position groups rank probably in the top 15 to 20 of college football road environment, uh, Utah stadium, one of the toughest to play in, in the PAC 12. Um, you know, how does his offensive line hold up too with the new faces, like the freshman receivers stepping in? Like I think Mertz is capable of being and especially in a game like this, where if you can just manage the game, if Utah is limited offensively, if you can get it to the fourth quarter, and all you got to hit is maybe one big pass play, limit the mistakes. I mean, I, I, I'm a little bit more optimistic about Florida's chances, I think, than, than most people, especially if, if Cam Rising doesn't play for Utah. 
Which defense do you think will have more pressure on it in this football game? Utah with a quarterback that may not even suit up, or if he does, we have to assume that he's limited, otherwise he'd already be cleared. Or Florida, where, I mean, it sounds it doesn't sound like Florida's going to score a ton of points in this game either if Utah's defense can live up to the hype. Uh, which, which team do you think's got a little bit more pressure? And I'm just, again, speaking only of the defensive unit. Man, that's a really good question because in my mind, I'm I'm almost like wanting to give you an answer like both ways because like I can I I feel like I can make a case for both defenses here because I think if I'm Utah, like the argument for Utah is that they're the better defense on paper coming into this game. They should be able to control a Florida offense that's got a lot of new pieces and a, a new starting quarterback. I also think if you're Florida, you're looking at it going. Utah might start a backup quarterback. They might play two quarterbacks. And based upon what we've seen out of those backup quarterbacks, if if they're starting, Graham Mertz is the better quarterback in this game. And if you're Florida, if you can put a backup quarterback into a bad situation, maybe you can force a turnover. Maybe you score on defense. All of a sudden, the pressure's off Graham Mertz then if you can get up early and do something like that. So I almost hate to give you a bad answer, but it's like, I, I feel like this is kind of 50, 50, like Utah at home with that defense, I think already has an edge, but I think Florida's defense will be better this year too. I mean, I like the hire of Austin Armstrong. I like what they did in the portal up front on the defensive line and at linebacker. So I I hate to say I'm optimistic about uh, uh, Florida's <laughs> chances again, but I do think that this defense against a backup quarterback um, I think that could bode well for Florida's chances of pulling off the upset. Now, I believe the number, Stephen, is uh, Utah has won, and I may be wrong about this, but I, I read it, 14 consecutive home games. I, I think their last home loss was against Southern Cal in the 2020 opener, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, just maybe off the top of your head, how how good of a home field advantage does Utah have uh, maybe I don't even know if this is a fair question, but like comparably to an SEC venue, I mean, do, where would it rank? Do you think, uh, given their success at home? Man, that's a really good question. Um, you know, that if you if you forget about the 2020 season because there there was just so few games in in some conferences, the last time that they lost at home was in 2018, early in the season, wow. September 15th, 2018. So they have been really tough to beat at home. And it's not just that, you know, we heard last year was Utah has to make the trip over to Gainesville, the humidity, the weather. I mean, changing in elevation going to Utah's <laughs> is certainly going to be a thing. I, I'm, I'm sure we're going to yeah. hear about that the next uh, couple of days, but this is a tough and loud stadium. Like when you watch PAC 12 games, this stadium is electric. It, it is one of the best venues in the PAC 12. I, I don't like, it's almost hard to compare like with to an sec opponent uh, or stadium just because like, it's a little bit smaller, but I mean, mm-hmm. like if, if you're watching like a PAC 12 game, like you watch Oregon, you watch Washington, you watch Utah. I, I might be forgetting somebody in there, but like those environments have a very like high energy, tough place to play. So I, I think among the road trips you could make against a Pac-12 school, like going to Salt Lake City is not the place uh, if you're if you're Florida. Well, I can confirm, Stephen. I've been to Salt Lake a couple of times, and I have trouble just walking around with that elevation. But 
I am horribly out of shape. So who you got uh, number three on your list, uh, Stephen? Most difficult game for the SEC to win during week one. I've got North Carolina and South mm-hmm. Carolina meeting up in Charlotte. Um, you know, we just talked about how Florida and Utah could be a real like low scoring game. I think if you like offense, like I think this is going to be drastically different there there's just a lot about this game that screams that it could be high scoring you've got two uh of the best quarterbacks in college football uh squaring off drake may is potential first overall pick in next year's draft i think if if south carolina gets the spencer rattler that shows up that showed up at the end of last season if he comes back that that much on fire uh this year um, yeah, they're going to be in, in really good shape to exceed preseason expectations. Again, if you're an Auburn fan, you might want to cover your ears because Gene Chizik is North Carolina's defensive coordinator. <laughs> and uh, much like a lot of his tenure at Auburn, his tenure at North Carolina has left a lot to be desired. They were bad against the run, bad against the pass. They struggled to get pressure uh, near the bottom of the ACC and yards per play or, you know, yards per play points allowed last year doesn't really add up when you look at their depth chart and you see the guys that they brought in uh, through high school recruiting, they have an all American linebacker too. So on paper, this is a matchup where the two quarterbacks are probably going to decide a lot of the outcome and it's probably going to be fairly high scoring. Now, SEC fans are well aware, Stephen, that uh, South Carolina has got elite special teams, maybe the best overall special teams in the country. They're bringing back everybody, kickers, punters, holders, snappers. So, uh, And with Pete Limbo there, you we have to assume the special teams will be elite again. Uh, can you give us any insight on North Carolina special teams? And, and you know, not necessarily a huge deep dive, but I'm just kind of curious to know what kind of advantage South Carolina could have in this matchup. Yeah, I, I think anytime you match up South Carolina special teams, especially with Pete Limbo, um, there's probably a good chance that either it's going to be dead even or they're going to have an advantage. And and they certainly have an advantage um, on Saturday night on paper. Um, you know, North Carolina is probably going to start a transfer, a kicker. They do have a pretty good punter and their returners. They, they are in pretty good shape at those spots. But still, give me Kai Kroger. Give me Pete Limbo. <laughs> give me a, maybe. Hey, maybe a play on special teams might decide this one. I mean, I. You know, I, I've, I've been trying to figure this out and coming into this game. If you just asked me who should be favored, I would say South Carolina. So I've been trying to figure out for all summer why North Carolina is favored in this game. Yeah, yeah, I'm right there with you. And, of course, college game day will be there. This is Saturday night, prime time. A lot of eyes will be on this game, Stephen. Uh, but, you know, new offensive coordinators, high-profile quarterbacks, coaches with uh you know pretty outstanding reputations but given the that it that this game has been amplified because i i gotta be honest with you i was surprised when this was announced as college game day but then you know you go down the list of the games you kind of see why it was but that raised the profile saturday night raises the profile these quarterbacks these coaches and, and again new offensive coordinators for each of them does all that that all the narratives going into this game, so to speak, does it favor one team or another, or or could it hamper one team or another? Because I have to imagine, you know, we've talked 
at no end to how important this game is for South Carolina, given that they go to Georgia, Mississippi State at home, and at Tennessee in, here in just a couple weeks. But from what I understand, North Carolina was pretty disappointing last year. So is this also maybe a must-win for Mac Brown and his North Carolina team? Absolutely. So I think if you look at North Carolina, they started out red hot last year. And then down the stretch, you know, they kind of fell apart later in the season. And they come into the season with, you could argue, I mean, I, I think Caleb Williams would be number one on my draft board for quarterbacks in next year's draft. But Drake Mays either two or he's like 1.5 or in some people <laughs> may have him number one on their board. You have one of the most talented players in college football at the most important position. And you have good skill talent, regardless of whether Tez Walker is eligible to play on Saturday night. He's the Kent State transfer expected to step into that number one receiving role. Regardless of whether he plays or not, they have weapons. It's just that when you look at the the talent that North Carolina has been bringing in on the recruiting trail relative to performance and especially last season, you know, I think there is still something to prove for Mac Brown there. I mean, they they definitely raised the bar to some extent. Um, but if you go 0-1 here and you know, South Carolina, the narrative has been they get better over the season. And instead, you start fast by beating North Carolina, um, especially with that schedule coming up. I mean, that would be huge um, for South Carolina. And especially if the offense goes out there and looks great. I mean, we've, you know, I've doubted the Dow Loggins higher. I like some of the things you've heard this offseason about how maybe simplicity is going to win out. Maybe they're just going to put the ball in the hands of Spencer Rattler. I've got questions about the offensive line, but we're going to find out on Saturday night. And I think the narrative could be South Carolina wins this game. It's sort of continuing what they built at the end of last year. And for North Carolina, if they lose and it's maybe a touchdown win for South Carolina, I think they'll walk away a little disappointed. And especially knowing that you have the best, you know, the best or second most uh, talented quarterback in the country and you were favored and, you know, you lost a neutral site game. Well, you're firing me up for these matchups, Stephen. All right, who you got number four on your list? It's a good thing we're, we're getting fired up because we're reaching <laughs> the point of the schedule where you really have to start, like, you have to get your magnifying glass out and, and start to look for things that are interesting. But I had to reach, and that is Virginia a against Tennessee. Um, and <laughs> Oh, because the shade just turned off. <laughs> the the matchups here in the SEC – really fall off in terms of just how competitive they're going to be and also just like in terms of spread like Tennessee being 20 30 point favored in this game yeah. I think what intrigues me the most about this game is it I don't like Virginia if you look at them on paper coming into this year you know they averaged 17 points a game offensively last year I think they completely mismanaged their offense last season. They had they had Brennan Armstrong, who was one of the ACC's better quarterbacks. They were loaded at receiver, and they somehow couldn't even average three touchdowns a game. Tony <laughs> Elliott, that was his first year. He's the former Clemson offensive coordinator. Year two, offensive line's a question. They've turned over a lot of receivers, and they brought in an FCS transfer, Tony Musket, from Monmouth to start a quarterback. That's a lot of questions to be going into a game where you're going to need to score some points to beat Tennessee. <laughs> yeah. The other side of that is Virginia's defense was pretty good last year. They were a lot better uh, from 21 to 22. John Radzinski is their defensive coordinator. He was at Air Force. They play kind of a funky 3-3-5 three, three, 
They may be without one of their best pass rushers, though. They're also turning over two starters at cornerback. You might be able to see what I'm getting at here. Like all these matchups really favor Tennessee. And I think the thing that just interests me the most is Joe Milton. Like he's the most fascinating yeah. player to me in the SEC this year. There's the wide variance of Joe Milton's that we've seen from Michigan to Tennessee to the Orange Bowl. I want to see what Joe Milton has in store this year because I think he's one of the most intriguing and probably maybe the biggest X factor in the SEC this year. Well, I'm glad you went there, Steve, because I, I had to ask you, on uh, one of our recent episodes, we did discuss your quarterback rankings for uh, the entire country, and I don't envy you for having to do that assignment, Steve, because I think it's hard enough ranking the, the SEC quarterbacks 1 through 16, but uh, you did the entire country, and Joe Milton, if memory serves, was number 24, and Cousin Shane was not happy with you, Steve, so giving you uh, this platform to kind of explain why Joe Milton, who's going to win the Heisman, according to many, uh, barely made the top 25 here. Yeah. I I think he's, he's probably the the biggest like mystery to me in the sec. Like if I just ranked based upon one game performance, like the, what I saw in the orange bowl is like top 10, top five potential. And, and of mm-hmm. course, you have the element of the one of the nation's best offensive coaches with skill, talent at receiver. I mean, Tennessee's loaded, again, offensively. I, I think when you also talk about, like, quarterback tiers, like, there's a certain point to where you get into these rankings and you're, like, after 10, it's like everybody from 11 through 25 <laughs> is about the same and you're trying to slot yeah. in names. I think the thing with Joe Milton, and the good news is, We'll be doing this a couple different times so you guys could give me a hard time about where he's moving <laughs> on the list throughout the year. But the hardest thing is like, which Joe Milton are you going to get? Are you going to get the one that started at Michigan and got benched? Are you getting the one that was injured early on at Tennessee, lost the job to Hendon Hooker? Or are you getting the Orange Bowl uh, Joe Milton? And I think based upon what you hear out of Knoxville this offseason, I think the optimism is pretty high that the Milton that you've seen in the last couple of performances is the one you're getting plus the upside uh, to continue getting better. So I'm, I'm pretty optimistic about his development. I just want to see it and see it with more consistency. Well, you referenced a unique defensive system that Virginia runs, given that uh, Tennessee's got some question marks on the offensive line. What's the probability that uh, maybe Virginia can kind of, you know, they're very unlikely, I would imagine, to, to completely shut down Tennessee, but maybe cause them some problems given that uh, Tennessee and their center, Cooper Mays, it sounds like he's going to be out, which is going to complicate matters for Tennessee. Uh, what are the odds that that defense can kind of just make it a little bit more interesting against Tennessee's offense? That's a good question because I think like that's their only hope is to like make things a little bit um, – you know, kind of make the game kind of ugly. Like, I think they're going to have mm-hmm. to try and slow it down. Um, you know, from a from a team, like, schematic standpoint, I, I do think Virginia's running backs, like, I think they could be a team strength this year. So I think if you're Virginia, it's one of those cases of, can you get a couple stops? Maybe can you force a turnover? Maybe use your ground game, especially with the new rules about the clock and and not stopping after first downs. You know, sort of right. lower Tennessee's possessions. I, I think it 
it, it might take Tennessee maybe a drive or two to sort of figure this defense out. Um, but you know, if they if Chico Bennett is their top pass rusher, if he doesn't play, I mean, you're already taking away one guy off the edge. They and and of course their front and linebackers are pretty solid for the ACC. But I still like I think it's going to be really hard for them to do this for four quarters, especially if they can't get anything going offensively in this game. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you referenced the new rules because that threw a lot of people off, and it it certainly seemed to have at least some impact week zero. And I, you know, that's probably unfair to draw many large, uh, uh, you know, takeaways from from so few a games, but. What was your initial reaction? Again, we'll probably week one, week two, week three, we'll have a much clearer picture of, of these new rules with the clock not stopping on first downs in college. But what was your initial uh, reaction to that? I think my initial reaction was they felt like the Notre Dame and, and Navy game moved a little quicker. But then mm-hmm. as the day went on, I don't know that I noticed it as much in some of the others. And I think some of that may be just style of play for some of those teams. I think the data has been that it saved maybe three minutes of game time and maybe like five, six plays so far. I'll be curious to see where that stacks up after um, after week one and what it means. I do think it felt like there was a lot more commercials, though, at one point. I did feel like that I was watching more commercials a couple times, and it was like, if we're trying to condense the time of the games down, maybe we could chop one of these commercial breaks out. So I, I, I hate to give you a bad answer, but it's almost like I want to see another week of, of data yeah. to see where we are. Yeah. Well, as long as they don't have the, the Applebee's commercial coming back, I'll be happy. <laughs> yeah. We'll get back to our conversation with Steven in just a minute, but I want to tell you guys about mybookie.ag. Head on over to mybookie and put in that promo code. That S-E-C, T-H-A-T-S-E-C. They are willing to give all of our listeners a 50% initial deposit bonus all the way up to 1000 bucks, with a minimum of 45 put in to a MyBookie account. People ask all the time, how can they help the show? We're truly independent. I've moved across the state just to be closer to Cousin Shane to provide you guys with the best podcast possible. How can you thank us by signing up for my bookie today and using that promo code, that SEC. Gamble with us. Hell, we're already 0 for 1 on our locks of the week. We're probably going to go 0-16, however many weeks there are in the college football season. You stand to gain a tremendous amount. Throw 50 bucks on a MyBookie account. Fade our picks every week. You'll be a millionaire by the time the season is over, I promise. So, again, there's a show. There's a link in the show notes to MyBookie. Would really, really, really help us out. If you created a MyBookie account today, use that promo code, that. SEC to get a 50% initial deposit bonus all the way up to a thousand bucks over at my boogie. We're also brought to you by, of course, by game time sidekicks. We love our game time sidekicks. This is officially licensed NCAA sippy cups. Tumblers is what they specialize in sippy cups. Dog. My dog just drank out of his game time sidekicks dog bowl. He loves it. Promo code SEC will get you 20% off your entire order. And I promise you're going to absolutely love your game time sidekicks or your money back. And come to Shane for that. Don't come to me. 
20% off over at Game Time Sidekicks. Use a promo code SEC. They've got every SEC team represented. They've got every Power 5 team represented. In case you've got some cousin that does it things the wrong way and likes the Big Ten, Pac-4, whatever, they got you covered over at Game Time Sidekicks. as a small business out of East Tennessee. Help them. Help us. Head on over to Game Time Sidekicks, and don't forget to use that promo code SEC for 20% off your entire order. The podcast is also brought to you by Manscaped. Proud to be partnered with Manscaped once again. Head on over to manscaped.com slash SEC podcast. Use that promo code SEC. Same promo as the Game Time Sidekicks. 20% off your entire order over at Manscaped. And they'll give you free shipping with that promo code as well. Again, that promo code SEC over at Manscaped. Get you the Beard Hedger Pro. Shane's ready to shave his beard if Ball State beats Kentucky. And <laughs> you'll be helping us out by heading over to Manscaped.com, ordering some products. The Beard Hedger Pro is the pro- their newest product. Cannot recommend it enough. And it's not just 20% off the Beard Hedger. It's anything they sell over at Manscaped.com using that promo code SEC. will get you 20% off and free shipping help the podcast take advantage of our these outstanding sponsorship opportunities. All right. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your go-to game beverage for college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any hard beverage you've had before. It's made with real brewed tea and picks a flavorful punch, 5% alcohol, and no carbonation, delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted Tea turns up any occasion, especially when you're cheering on your favorite SEC team. Twisted Tea, the drink that fuels fun and celebrates your love of college football. Keep it twisted. The podcast is also brought to you by Game Time. Head on over to GameTime.co and use promo code that. S-E-C-T-H-A-T-S-E-C for $20 off your first purchase. Buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. Game Time is a fast and easy way to buy tickets for all sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. Game Time is the place for the last-minute ticket sales. Forget planning months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Head on over to GameTime.co. Snag tickets without the stress. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code THATSEC for 20 bucks off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem THATSEC for 20 bucks off. Download the Game Time app today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Where's, uh, I think we're at number five, Steve. Who, number five most difficult matchup for an SEC team in week one? Yeah. This one's a little bit of a, a surprise in, in that. Again, I think we're we're reaching here because these matchups are so favorable for the SEC. But Southeast Louisiana playing Mississippi State. Um, Southeast Louisiana, top 25 team at the FCS level. I think probably what interests me the most about this and, and kind of why I have it so high. When you have all the new pieces that Mississippi State has and you're playing a pretty good like FCS opponent, you know, the chances like the chances of Mississippi State losing this game are obviously pretty low. But I think you'd like a a weaker FCS opponent for a, a team that's breaking in, um, you know, new certainly a new scheme on offense and a new style of play. So 
I think it's with Mississippi State getting Arizona and LSU coming up, it's a game where you want to see how does Will Rogers look in this offense? What does this new offense exactly look like? You probably don't want to show all your cards offensively because the SEC opener is coming coming up in just a few weeks. But I think there is a level of intrigue here for me about Mississippi State, just seeing that, hey, this is now, it's Zach Arnett's program. Like, he coached the bowl game, but this year, with all the changes, he's put his stamp on it, and I want to see what this team looks like with all that senior, junior uh, experience that they have coming back this year. What are you more curious to see, Stephen? Will Rogers in a new offense and just see how he fits in or how they utilize Mike Wright? Because all the buzz is, man, he he's going to be a weapon for them. That's a good question. I, I would probably go Will Rogers just because I want to see the whole – like offensive operation. Um, you know, it sounds mm-hmm. like that this offense is still going to operate very much out of the shotgun. That's how App State was last year, where Kevin Barbe came from. I don't think you're going to see like a drastic, like, you know, 60% run game out of Mississippi State. But, you know, this is a team that has been so pass heavy and you have a lot of the same offensive linemen still there. So how does all these styles mesh together? Um, I think I'd like to see Will Rogers hit a few more big plays this year because that could really help Mississippi State's um, offense open up a little bit. So I think just just seeing the whole operation, seeing how Will Rogers settles into this offense will be really interesting for me. Hmm. All right, so which game is next on your list, even of uh, most challenging for an SEC team? Yeah, um, challenging is definitely a uh, stretch here because we've reached, <laughs> we, like I said, we're really reaching here. But uh, UMass at Auburn. Um, if you mm. watch the Week Zero games, I think UMass was probably one of the bigger surprises. They won on yep. the road at New Mexico State. Uh I had UMass ranked 133 in our uh, first preseason rankings. I think they're probably a little bit better than that based upon what they showed on Saturday. But, you know, I think just in terms of like what what can UMass do that gives Auburn some problems, they've upgraded a lot across the board with transfers. They're faster at receiver. They have more difference makers. Um, Tyson Pumachan is a transfer from Clemson and Georgia Tech. Uh, he's a starter at quarterback. He looks like maybe the best quarterback that UMass has had in, in a couple of years. They've really struggled offensively. I'm reaching here, but Don Brown, from a defensive standpoint, Doctor Blitz. Um, you know, he's he was uh, he was the head coach last year when they played Texas A&M. They held Texas A&M to 20 points. I know the weather wasn't great, but he's been one of the best defensive coordinators in college football for the last you know 10 years or so. So I think if you're from a big picture standpoint, Auburn is a heavy favorite and for good reason. UMass should have some confidence. They have a defensive coordinator who can create some problems. It's a reach, but I think if if you're Auburn, it, it is a game where you should be able to take care of business and, and win pulling away in the second half. Yeah, and given that they, they did win week one, which was in impressive fashion, and given that Auburn is breaking in a new staff and new pieces all across the board essentially on offense – where would you lean or has that changed after watching week zero that uh, the the line may have moved, but last I checked, it was like 39 and a half. I strongly lean towards UMass now. I would do, too. Do you, 
Yeah, you, you're you're right there too. Yeah, I think I go back to last year with like UMass and Texas A and M, and the line was you know, pretty significant, and they covered. I, I do think if you're Auburn, I, I I I'm curious to see how all these new pieces fit into place. You know, the the offensive line is going to have a couple transfers. Um, same thing at receiver. Peyton mm-hmm. Thorne at quarterback. Like this could go one of two ways. I don't, you know, if you ask me to pick this game straight up, there's no question like I'm taking Auburn. But like, does it take Auburn a quarter or two for all the new pieces and scheme to settle in? Or do they just say, open it up, let's go. And they score 45 points and win, you know, 45 <laughs> to nothing. You know, it, it it really is. There's like, when you're trying to figure out the the lines for early <laughs> in the season, like there's some psychology you have to get into yeah. uh, for some of these coaches. I mean, a 38-point win in a coach's debut is a heck of a performance, yet it wouldn't even cover the spread. That's that's why I like UMass and the spread right now. I do too. Yeah, I would I would take uh, in 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 words that may not age well. I would take UMass to cover and Auburn to, <laughs> to easily win straight up. <laughs> All right, uh, which game's next on your list? It's the game that has Cousin Shane worried, and that is the Ball State <laughs> and Kentucky game uh, for this week. Now, I know Cousin Shane might be worried. I will tell you, this. don't forget, this Ball State team lost 59-10 to 10 to Tennessee last year. On paper, I don't think this Ball State team is better. I think they have some concerns in the secondary coming into this year. That could be good news for Devin Leary. That could be new, good news for Liam Cohen and all these receivers that Kentucky has. From an offensive standpoint, Ball State averaged about 23 points a game last year. Uh, their strength is the tight ends, and their quarterback is Lane Hatcher. You may remember him because he started at Arkansas State, Texas State, and he was also at Alabama for some time. So he has bounced <laughs> around. Uh, they are a very, very much a pro-style um, offense They've been sort of, you know, I think we've got them picked fifth in, in the MAC West this year. They've been sort of a fringe bowl team for the last couple of years. But I think the the matchups obviously heavily favor Kentucky in this one. How excited are you to watch uh, Devin Leary in this uh, Liam Cohen offense? Really excited. Um, I, I think it's it's not only Liam Cohen taking over the play calling duties again, and, and when he was the offensive coordinator in 2021 they were just so creative and with the ways that they were calling plays for will levis and how this offense was deployed but i think if you're a kentucky fan like optimistically the offensive line should be better this year and you've got a you know ray davis transferring in from vanderbilt you've got Mm -hmm. the receivers i mean this is one of the better receiving cores that i can remember kentucky having in recent memory so um I think Devin Leary's would you know before he was hurt at NC State he was a top ten quarterback in the country so you add him with a an established play caller and weapons I mean this Kentucky offense has a lot of potential they should get off to a good start here against Ball State all right so what's the next game on your list here Stephen Rice at Texas um, yeah and, we're counting Texas and Oklahoma this year and and again I want to stress we are stretching here um i think (laughs) probably the most interesting aspect of this game is rice in the starting quarterback is jt daniels uh remember he's the former georgia quarterback he was at west virginia before he's been at usc he's a starting quarterback at rice um so i'll be curious to see 
just how he performs uh, for for a Rice team that's you know got a coach on the hot seat. They're very very methodical on offense. Texas should be able to win this game pretty easily. I think what interests you though is they have Alabama next week, and what does this like? Do they come out and do they let Quinn Ewers throw it around and, and showcase the improvement this year? Do they hold back just a little bit, knowing they've got Alabama coming up next uh, next week? So I, I think Texas is the preseason favorite in the Big 12 for a reason. I think this seeing how they look this week will give us a good idea of where they are going into that matchup in Tuscaloosa. So it sounds safe to assume Stephen, that uh, if we were playing this game next week you'd put would, how high would you put texas at alabama would you put it number one i'd probably put it number two behind lsu mm. and florida state but that's close um i i think in terms of and i hate to keep using that playoff word but just how important that texas and alabama game is going to be to solving the puzzle piece this season of where some of these teams fit in. Um, it's going to be, it's going to be huge. We'll, we'll talk about Alabama in a few minutes, but I don't know that we're going to learn a ton about Alabama this week for a couple of reasons. And then they get the showdown next week. So uh, there, there's a lot next week's matchup against Texas and Alabama is going to be pretty important. Yep. And Saban out here, and he won't even release a depth chart. Oh my God. Come on now. Come on. <laughs> All right, we, I'll bash him here in a minute. But who, who's next on your list? It's old SEC friend Butch Jones taking Arkansas <laughs> State to Oklahoma. Uh, you know, I, I think just to to give like SEC fans kind of an idea of where Oklahoma is coming into this year, pretty disappointing last year, six and seven. But this has been pretty much a consistent winning team since Bob Stoops took it over. Um, in the late 1990s, they had some bad luck last year, 0-5 in one-score games. Like That's bound to to change this year, and a bounce or two is going to go their way. But I think optimistically, this Oklahoma team on paper, like they look like they could contend for the Big 12. They've got one of the better quarterbacks in Dylan Gabriel. I think the defense will take a step forward, which is key as they move into the SEC, line of scrimmage, defensive improvement. I think they're headed in the right direction in both of those areas. And this Arkansas State team that's won five games over the last two years uh, with Butch Jones at the helm, picked near the bottom of the Sun Belt this year, don't think Oklahoma <laughs> will have to sweat too much on Saturday. And I could be mistaken, Stephen, but did Oklahoma, did they play Florida State last year in the bowl game? They did. Yeah, they, they lost close. Yeah. It was a good one. Yeah, that's that's what I'm thinking. So it's like... I mean, again, bowl games, they are what they are, and, and I, I'm sure players opted out on both sides or whatever, but the fact Florida State's getting all this hype and Oklahoma, of course, they are ranked, but not nearly the hype. I mean, I, that's that's interesting to me, to say the least. I think I think when you look at Oklahoma, you just see, like, six and seven. Like, they must not – like, I think some of the general voters and consensus has been, well, they were six and seven. The defense wasn't very good last year, but I think if you – sort of pick apart their season. Like when you lose five games by one score with a first-year coach who has upgraded the, the roster through recruiting and transfers, I think they're going to take a step forward this year. I, I actually, I had them in the Big 12 title game against Texas. So a uh, all-SEC <laughs> Big 12 title game this year is, is what <laughs> I'm picking. 
Oh, I can't wait. All right, who, who's next on your list? MTSU or, I guess, Middle Tennessee <laughs> at Alabama. Um, you know, I think in terms of, like, can MTSU threaten Alabama? I don't see it. Like, I think this is this one's, to me, the intrigue is all about Alabama. Like, what does mm-hmm. the quarterbacks do on Saturday? Does Alabama leave that game with a clear starter or a clear answer at the position? And I think also, like, Alabama's got some new faces on defense, whether it's Caleb Downs, whether it's some of the other new faces throughout the depth chart. They should be able to play a lot of guys here and get them some experience before that game against Texas next week. So um, I also think if if you're a Missouri fan, they play MTSU in week two. So you kind of get an early glimpse of where this, you know, if you're a Missouri fan trying to judge what your opponent is, you, you play South Dakota on Thursday night. You could get an early look at your week two opponent um, at Alabama. But for me, this matchup's one-sided. I just want to see Alabama, and we'll be watching every quarterback throw uh, (laughs) close on Saturday. Do you subscribe to the belief, Stephen, that some teams hold things back in a matchup like this? And if so, uh, how much do you anticipate Alabama will do that with Texas game looming? It's a good question because – if you're Alabama, I don't know that you necessarily have that luxury, right? Because you, it doesn't sound, I mean, maybe I'm not reading the Nick Saban tea leaves correctly. Uh, you know, I saw him smiling a few weeks ago, which made me think <laughs> that maybe the Alabama revenge tour was going to fire up and they were going to roll through the SEC this year. But I don't know. I mean, I think if if looking from the outside, if you don't know who your quarterback is, and you have a game against Texas next week, I don't know that you can afford to be cautious. Like, I think you have to let, um, you know, Jalen Milrow and Ty Simpson go out and execute the offense, even if you give Texas some of the tape that maybe you don't want to, uh, because you have to figure out what you have at this position. So I do think that teams can hold back something, knowing you have a high-profile opponent the next week, and we should also probably note that there is the week one to week two jump that's going to happen. Somebody's not going to play well this week and get underrated going into week two. And that's another part of this that we'll have to figure out after Saturday's games. Well, I mean, it's like you were reading my mind, Stephen, because I was going to ask you. I'm a big believer in psychology, particularly in college football. Uh, if you're an Alabama fan, would you rather Alabama just beat the hell out of MTSU and and comes into Texas uber confident? Or would you rather them struggle? And by struggle, you know, 20-point win or so. You know, I'm not suggesting they'll threaten them, but maybe look sloppy and Texas just kills uh, Rice. And and then, you know, the the Texas hype is just going to continue to go up a notch and people are going to doubt Alabama. Which which way do you think Alabama fans would – would be rooting in that that way, you know, a big blowout or or maybe a little bit of a struggle and some doubting. I think Nick Saban would probably prefer a performance that allows him to, or I guess gives him plenty that he, that he can use during the week <laughs> to keep his team motivated. So, yeah. I, I mean, in essence, you know, it, I think it, it, it could work both ways. I think if you're Alabama, like I think a 55 to nothing win, would build some confidence. But also on the other side of things, like you're right. I mean, 
Texas is going to come into this game with a ton of momentum. There's already been plenty of people who are picking Texas to win this game. Everybody's not, I shouldn't say not everybody, but there'll be plenty of doubt about Alabama. If they have a sluggish performance here, which could give Nick Saban and that staff plenty of fuel or maybe rat poison uh, for, uh, for, for the next week against uh, Texas. So I, I hate to say it could cut both ways, but if I'm Alabama and, and Nick Saban, I would still want some some meat left on the bone to be able to use as motivation for the next week against the Longhorns. Now, I believe, Stephen, we only have one FBS matchup remaining. Is that the next one on your list? It's actually a little down. Um, I've oh, got okay. Mercer and Ole Miss, largely just because mm. Mercer was 7-4 and four last year, projected top 25 FCS team. Saying all that, uh, for me, <laughs> intrigue at Ole Miss. You know, I, I want to see like Jackson Dart reportedly have to, has had a great off season. Some of the transfers, some of the freshmen at receiver, want to see what all this looks like for Ole Miss offensively. They have a tough game at Tulane next week, so I think kind of the same conversation as we're having with Texas. Like I think uh, Texas and Alabama. I think if you're Ole Miss, you want to work through some of these things, some of the new pieces on offense, and most importantly, defense. Like build some confidence on defense before going to uh, New Orleans to play Tulane next week. Like Pete Golding's first game, if they come out, all the transfers, everything meshes together, I think that's a good sign going forward for this defense. Any surprise that Lane Kiffin is not named a starting quarterback? He was asked about it uh, today here on Monday and basically just – you know, he wouldn't get into it, uh, still evaluating, even though <laughs> that's hard to believe. But uh, any surprise that they're withholding this for the Mercer matchup? A little bit. You know, I think based upon everything you're hearing, reading, seeing uh, from Oxford, it seems like Jackson Dart's the guy. Um, I yeah. The only thing I could think of is you have three talented and capable quarterbacks on your roster and maybe you're just promoting a little bit more internal competition over the next week to keep them all focused and and ready especially with Tulane and then your SEC schedule coming up that's really the only thing that I can think of but I I think Jackson Dart's going to be the guy and I'm curious to see how much better he looks in year two as the starter uh can you settle a bet for cousin Shane and I he's he's thinking Junkins is going to score four touchdowns in this ball game and I said I don't even think he'll get over 10 carries because I think they're going to save him I he's capable no doubt of scoring four touchdowns in this game but what are the odds that you would put it that Jukins gets four touchdowns in the opener I would take I would take the under on four rushing touchdowns um I don't think you know I think Quinchot Jukins is one of the top five running backs in college football. He's on our preseason All-America team. I don't want to use him up against Mercer, though. I, you got to right. save him for Tulane and SEC play. So I, <laughs> I think you you you, you get the, you <laughs> knock the rust off in week one and you save him for next week under four touchdowns. Okay, okay. Uh, what's next on your list, Stephen? Alabama A&M at Vanderbilt. Um, you know, I think kind of what we talked about with Vanderbilt early on, was simply just building confidence as you get closer to your next two non-conference games, which are Wake Forest and UNLV. I think UNLV in the Mountain West is better than Hawaii. So I think it's important for Vanderbilt to keep getting better. I think from week one to week three to 
two to four. They'll continue to. Um, this Alabama AN team was four and seven last year. So on paper, I, I think the way that Vanderbilt looked in week zero, there's plenty to work on. Offensive line, run game, pass defense. This is really the perfect week two matchup to do so before your competition takes another step forward with Wake Forest. Yeah, and I haven't done a deep dive on Alabama AM, I gotta be honest with you, but I heard I heard they're they got a transfer from Michigan State, one of their maybe their leading rusher uh last season. So they they will have some weapons potentially that could threaten Vanderbilt. So not a game you could completely overlook and, and one where Clark Lee I mean the, the momentum that they're building will be halted, <laughs> come to a screeching stop if they overlook Alabama A&M and, and find a way to, I'm not saying they'll lose it, but if they did, man, that would, that would be a bad look for them. You know what? You, you can't lose this game if you're Vanderbilt. I mean, right. you know, the, the game against Hawaii, I mean, the fact that it was closer than the spread was a little surprising to me. Like I thought Vanderbilt would probably be able to win that game by a little mm-hmm. bit more, but you also think like, take a step back for a second and just look at the progress that Vanderbilt's made, like from year one to year two to now, um, I know their stadium photo is getting a lot of buzz about it being incomplete, but I mean, like there's a lot of good things happening. And this is one of those games where you cannot lose to an FCS team. Um, and, and especially when you, every game at this point is critical to getting to that six win mark. Yeah. All right, Steven. So what's next on your list? So it's, it's the last FBS FBS game <laughs> and that is New Mexico and Texas A&M. And the reason why this one is so low New Mexico State, uh, sorry, New Mexico, uh, 13 points a game last year on offense. They scored only 17 touchdowns all year. Two returning starters on defense. This is a this is the, one of the probably 10 to 15 lowest rated uh, teams in the country. I've got them at 126 out of 133 in my power ranking. So offensively they don't present a lot of threat to AM and defensively so much turnover on that side of the ball but it's a great opportunity for AM. last year's disappointment get it out of the way because on saturday this matchup favors the aggies big time petrino fisher uh seeing how this offense works with connor wigman and the weapons that they have this one on paper should be a pretty easy win for texas AM and allow them to build some confidence for that game against Miami next week. Man, so I was going to I thought you this was an indication that you're all aboard the A&M hype train, but it sounds like you're just really down on New Mexico is what it really is. It's a little bit of both. Um I'm buying okay. A&M this year. You know, as as low as I was last year in A&M, like I'm fairly like optimistic. Um I think that they get to, you know, I think we had them at 8 and 4 or nine and three in the in the magazine. Um, I think that there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic. Connor Wigman's development, offensive line should be better. And also I think that youth on defense grows up this year. Um, and that defense continues to get better. Points wise, they didn't give up very much, but they couldn't stop the run. And I think that can change right. this year with a with a little bit more experience. All right, Steve, we're running out of games. What's next on your list? South Dakota and Missouri. So we get a little SEC ball (laughs) on Thursday night. That's not the Florida-Utah showdown. But South Dakota, 3-8 and last year. Normally when you hear the Dakotas, you think about North Dakota State, South Dakota State, really high-quality FCS opponents. That's not the case here. Um, South Dakota was picked ninth 
in the Missouri Valley preseason poll. So they're one of the lowest rated teams from that conference. But that's a good thing for Missouri because we'll get a good look at the quarterbacks. And I think that's what intrigues me the most is seeing Brady Cook and Sam Horn um, on Thursday night and just seeing where these two quarterbacks are and seeing how far Sam Horn has progressed uh, over the last year. Man, there's going to be trouble, though, if they can't have success this offense against this team. You know what? Yeah, it, it really is. But, but, you know, I think this, like, we've kind of talked about, like, do you hold back or, like, do you build confidence? Like, I think this is a good opportunity for them to build some confidence because you have a new OC in Kirby Moore. You know, you you still have Luther Burden. You've brought in some transfers at receiver and the offensive line. A lot of new pieces. But this type of matchup, you know, before you get into SEC play, with the buzz that Missouri has going on on recruiting, like if you could really put your foot down and, and put an easy win together, I think that's what Missouri could use a game like that here on Thursday night. All right, we're down to two, Stephen, and I got to imagine these are going to be buried on SEC Network Plus. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> at, at number 15, I've got Western Carolina at Arkansas. Western Carolina, six and five last year. Um, they were picked fifth in the SOCON conference this year, but really this is about Arkansas. I want to see what this new offense looks like uh, with Dan Enos calling the plays KJ Jefferson. I've got him as the best quarterback in the sec. I'm curious to see how he adapts to this offense. You have all the new playmakers at receiver um, and, and defensively too, you know, Arkansas has got a lot of new faces on defense. They got a new defensive coordinator. Like how does this all look in the first game? So I, I think there's intrigue for me on both sides of the ball in a matchup that, um, that really favors Arkansas heavily. Yeah. And there will be a little rock too. They changed the kickoff a little earlier, get the fans back home, get them so they can watch the night games here, you know? Yeah. Get, get everybody <laughs> back home before that North Carolina, South Carolina game kicks off. Right. Exactly. All right, so obviously the final matchup, Stephen, a barn burner here, UT Martin at Georgia. <laughs> Is there? Any, there's no spread on this game, but I, I have to imagine it would be close to 60 points if there was. Hey, uh, Tennessee beat Tennessee Martin last year 65-24, to 24, so I was going to say like started about 50 uh, in favor of Georgia. <laughs> I mean, this is all about it's the, it's the two-time defending champs. It's seeing what Carson Beck looks like. Um, you know, Mike Bobo making his return as offensive coordinator. There's nothing on paper that suggests this should be a close game. It should allow Georgia to play a ton of players, if nothing else. So we, we, we'll get a good look at some of those younger players for Georgia and also Carson Beck and, and um, how this offense looks with all the changes. Well, Stephen, I can't thank you enough for joining us again, breaking down all these matchups. Enjoy the week one action just hours away here from kicking off on Thursday and all the way through Monday. It's a unique week in college football, but they take advantage of it. So, uh, man, I, I can't wait to talk to you again. And, and this time next week, Stephen, when we're breaking it down, we'll have actual football to discuss in some huge matchups week two. So, I, I, again, I can't thank you enough, and I, I look forward to next week's conversation as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And uh, I look forward to catching up every Monday th throughout the season. And most importantly, we've had the appetizer. I'm ready for the main course this week. <laughs> Let's get some football. And then by Monday night, all those preseason predictions might be wrong. So uh, <laughs> I can't wait for what should be a fun week of uh, – it's just great to have college football back, isn't it? 
It is. Uh, oh, one last thing, Stephen, uh, before you go, tell the audience where can they find you on social media, where can they find your work over at Athlon, your YouTube page, the Cover 2 podcast. Uh, lay it on them because I, I know they're going to want to to find you in other uh, where you are the other days when you're not on the show. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, if you go to athlonsports.com, I've got daily college football coverage. Um, our Cover 2 podcast comes out during the week, either Tuesday or Wednesday. We'll have a big preview episode. It's the Cover 2 podcast by Athlon Sports. On uh, Twitter, you can follow me at Athlon Steven, and you can also follow me on Instagram, uh, Facebook, TikTok, and threads at Stephen L. CFB. And one more, uh, it's all CFB365 on YouTube. Uh, shameless plug. Yeah, well, I appreciate it, Stephen. Thanks again, and uh, we'll catch you next week. Yeah, thanks again for having me on. All right, so that's going to do it for this episode of the show. Once again, I want to say thanks to Stephen for joining us. Cousin Shane will be back. I mean, he's right across the wall here, but uh, (laughs) he's got a weird schedule. This is technically his Friday, so we got to give the guy, big guy, a day off here. But he'll be back the rest of the week in person. We're doing this podcast. And don't forget Fridays, or Thursdays, Thursday night show, Sunday night show, same time, 6 o'clock Eastern, 5 Central, going live all season long. Those are tremendous fun. And uh, we may do a special live show as uh you know upsets happen and, and things of that nature emergency podcast if you will we've done it before it's always it's like pulling teeth trying to get shane to do an emergency podcast but he's got no excuse these days with him being right across in the same duplex so thank each and every one of you enough for tuning in we'll be back with cousin shane on the next episode Hey, buddy, this beer's for you, Mike, and Cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the Pirate, and the Pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State.